if you weren't here last week, you missed a really exciting prayer time. I'm talking about the VBS stuff that Keisha shared, uh, and a really exciting sermon. I mean, what do, what do you think I mean? All right, uh, look, raise your right hand. I'm just kidding, you don't have to do that. Uh, we've taken care of the, uh, the visitors, I promise. Um, the fire ants are another problem, so be careful where you set your coffee down. Uh, but we've taken care of everything. We are grateful for deacons that love this church and love the facility. So no, no one should be visiting from the ceiling this morning. Uh, our text this morning, we're going to jump right in. It's yet another encounter where Jesus is asked a question. And the person that's asking really doesn't know what they're asking. Uh, and this time, Jesus actually tells them as much. So that's where the title of today's message comes from. The title of our series through Mark is The Way of the King. And this comes from the statement, The way of the disciple is the way of the king, which is the way of the cross. The life of somebody who follows Jesus, the king of kings, is a life that must pass through death. Now this would be pretty simple and straightforward uh, if I was just talking about one kind of death. But there is unfortunately a variety of ways that we die. And I'm not being morbid here. In fact, Keller says it like this. All life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. So to love someone is to die. Have you ever been in a breakup? Uh, Then you know what that kind of death feels like. To love somebody is to die. I'm not talking about Romeo and Juliet. Um, I'm talking about you and and your wife, you and your dearest friend, you and the people that you say that you love. To love someone is to die. And here's what I mean by that. There are easy people to love. Um, And all of us know somebody like this, somebody who has it all together. Um, they, They have no significant needs. It's really great to love somebody like that. It costs you nothing emotionally. But if you love somebody who is emotionally wounded or somebody who is under persecution or they're hurting or they're in trouble, it's going to cost you something. It's as if uh, you're going to take the weight of their trouble, their pain. You take it on yourself. It's like a transfer takes place. And honestly, it can be exhausting to love people well. But sometimes, the only way for a wounded person to become whole is to know that they're loved. And if you're the one doing that loving, it can drain you, even to the point that it feels like a death of yourself. So choosing to serve someone else means that your preference has to die. Choosing to give my kids what they need before I take care of my own needs means that I have to die to myself from a certain point of view. So the way of the disciple is the way of the king, which is the way of the cross. And the way of the king that we follow is marked by love and death. So living a life of love means a whole lot of little deaths along the way. And yes, eventually we all physically die. And this is all pictured, all of it, in the cross where Jesus died in our place. But the cross, hear me, the cross is not the end. Hallelujah, it's not. Precisely because Jesus died in our place, 
He was raised to power over death as a promise, a guarantee that if we follow the king to the cross, we then continue to follow him into his kingdom. As we live a life marked by love and death, we will be raised up to life and joy. So don't be afraid of the way to the cross. Do not be afraid. And that's exactly what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples at the beginning of our text for this morning. Um, so would you stand with me as I read from Mark chapter 10. Although our full text today is all the way through verse 52, we're just going uh, to read through verse 45, and then we'll come back to the last portion a little later. So Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 32. <clears throat> and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and After three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The text that for this morning, it's, it's really three little stories or pericopes. It's a technical term. And we're going to look at them one at a time. And we've just read the first two together since they're basically the same encounter. And yet, there's at least three sermons that you could preach from these words of Jesus. So let's remember the setting. We talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He's now on the way with all the pilgrims who are starting to make their way to the city for Passover. It's a progressively bigger crowd the closer that he gets. And they go up to Jerusalem because the city is on a mountain. And as they go up, Many are singing on the way. 
The Psalms, one of my favorite books, and I'm not biased because I lead worship, but the Psalms are the soundtrack, uh, the mixtape for the road trip, if you will, on the journey to Jerusalem. The songs of ascent in particular, these are the songs that were sung as you headed into the temple. So they're all, all these people are going to see the Passover lamb sacrificed for the sins of the people. And this time, even the lamb himself. Jesus has set his face to go. And like any rabbi of the time, he's got his group following him. uh, And he's leading this group amidst the crowd. They're all heading the same direction. And then Jesus pauses and he tells it like it's going to be. This is, this is it. These first verses uh, of our text this morning, they're the model of all that's going to come from now until the end of Jesus' life and his resurrection. Jesus literally tells them what to expect. Uh, he, he tells them what's coming in no uncertain terms. Uh, he does speak in the third person, which is a little strange for the rest of us, but I guess you know, the Trinity can speak in first, second, or third person or whatever God wants to do. But seriously, this, this isn't even the first time that Jesus gave them a heads up in chapter 8, in chapter 9. He told his disciples that he would die and that he would rise again. So this shouldn't be particularly surprising at this point, And yet it seems to be. The next week, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem in Mark 11. And yet... Let this part of the text be in your mind, even in the midst of celebration. Because it was on Jesus' mind, even as he smiled and received the praises of the people who would scream for his death a week later. Jesus didn't just know the Old Testament books. He was the subject of those books. He knew them more fully than any of us ever can. So, of course, he amazed the teachers and the temple when he was just 12. Of course, on the path, it's the path of the suffering servant that's on his mind as he makes his way to Jerusalem. For this first section of the text, let's take away two things. One, that Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was coming over this week. Maybe not every little, little detail, but he knew the Psalms. He knew Psalm 22. He knew Isaiah's prophecies. So he knew the prophecy would be fulfilled. And two, (laughs) he knew how the week would end, or rather, how the next week would begin. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the promise of resurrection that would reconcile us to God, he set his face to Jerusalem, and he went. So now, Let's move on to the next section of our text, which basically happens, as Mark would say, immediately after Jesus prophesied his death and resurrection. Immediately after hearing this, this question that they ask, this behavior of James and John, this is actually an opportunity for each of us to examine our own hearts while we pretend that we're examining theirs. Uh, We think, we think, how dare they come before Jesus and, and ask something so bold? But look at, look at Jesus' response. He simply asks, what would you have me do? To get my mind around how this may have played out, uh, I thought about the fact that a few weeks ago, 
uh, a CU grad and an actor named Eric Mendenhall was here joining us for worship uh, when Sean was ordained. He and his wife, Bethany, who's also a phenomenal actor. Uh, and so now, Eric has the most epic death reel of any actor that I know. Now, I don't know a whole lot of actors, but it's still something. Because he has been on several TV shows and in several movies now. And so I'm willing to guess that you've seen him and you just didn't know it. He was most recently on a show that aired on Sunday nights that I won't mention specifically, but millions of people saw him the last two weeks. Anyways, Eric's one of the most intelligent uh, men that I know, and it's really evident in his wry smile and his quick wit. So he and his wife, and Sean and Melissa, they were all on the now legendary skit team for Campus Crusade at, at Campbell back in the day. So Eric... He was hilarious in every scene, every skit. And indeed, he was a scene stealer. Uh, But this came back to haunt him on campus because we would like, we'd be on the way to Marshbanks, the cafeteria walking, you know, to class maybe. And somebody would say, hey, it's it's that funny guy, Eric. Hey, hey, Eric, do something funny. Make that face that you made. That was really funny, man. You're so funny. And the look that Eric would get in his eyes after the 20th time of somebody asking him this, it was the perfect picture of exasperation. I mean, the deep sigh, the rolling of the eyes, the slump of the shoulders. So I started to joke with him. Like, any time that I saw him, I would say, hey, Eric, do that funny thing. Uh, And so next time that he's here passing through grace, you should totally do this. Um, but, But hold that picture of exasperation in your mind. Because here in our text, James and John are literally asking Jesus to just do what they want. Good thing none of us pray to God like that, right? Can you believe these guys? And Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, excuse me? You want to start that over, boys? Or do you know who you're talking to? Jesus instead says, sure, how can I serve you? So just as Jesus was not exasperated with them. Jesus is not exasperated with you and me. Jesus did not sigh or roll his eyes or slump his shoulders. And please know this morning that God the Father is not exasperated with you. No matter how many times you ask or how unusual or silly or desperate your plea, God hears you. So please hear me, you cannot exhaust the patience of God. And for this we say amen. The request that James and John have is pretty blunt. And clearly, (laughs) they're still expecting the the rule of the Messiah to begin as soon as they get into Jerusalem. The the triumphal entry that we get next week, they thought that was it. This This is what's happening This is Jesus getting everybody riled up for the right reasons. This is it. So they were super excited as they walk into Jerusalem with him. This is what they expected. But then Jesus, he literally says to them, you don't know what you're asking. But this is a whole other level from last week with the rich young man. Because if you remember last week, the rich young man, he didn't know what he was asking. And I I illustrated that, but this is a whole other level because that guy, he, he didn't know what he was really asking, Jesus. But this time, Jesus actually calls it out on James and John. It's another level. When it, when it comes to you know, not knowing what you're asking, you know, last week it was, Clara, baby girl, when are you going to start crawling? 
I didn't know what I was asking, but this week it's a non-parent asking, can I help you change that diaper? <laughs> Last week it was, uh, God, uh, can you give me patience? <laughs> you don't know what you're asking. This week it's, God, can I have some more patience? Last week it was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This week it's, can we be with you in your glory? Here's the problem with their question. When is Jesus most clearly glorifying the Father? (laughs) When he is hanging to die on the cross. They did not know what they were asking for. Jesus then responds asking about a cup, about baptism. The cup that Jesus refers to, (laughs) that's the cup of God's wrath. The cup that would be otherwise, that would be poured out on us. Because of the sin that has broken our fellowship with God. The things that we have willfully done, pridefully done. But Jesus drinks it, he drinks it in full on our behalf. The baptism of immersion that he's kind of referring to is not his previous baptism in water, but his imminent baptism in suffering. His complete and utter submersion and submission to the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. And then they say, we are able. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Jesus doesn't just dismiss them. He isn't exasperated by their ridiculous answer. Instead, he says, you're right. You too will indeed share in my death and in my suffering, as any who follow the king to the cross will. And they'll share in his resurrection too. But they needed to count the cost. They needed to know what following the king on the way to the cross meant. And then Jesus graciously says that determining who will be at his right and his left is not for him to decide. Which we realize is a grace. But they still didn't get that a crucifixion between two thieves on his right and left. That's what was ahead in Jerusalem. Remember, they they did not know what they were asking. As the rest of the disciples, they get all up in arms about this question that was just asked. This is really funny to me. I mean, keep in mind that this this selfishness, this ambition, this this drive to, I don't know, have things, this rivalry between them. This is the raw material that Jesus has to work with to build his church. And since Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, I am sure that Jesus was tempted to be exasperated with these guys. He was tempted to think, this is what you give me to work with, Father? Nevertheless, not my will but yours. I'm so, so grateful that God chooses the foolish things and the weak things and the broken people and the hurting people to renew them by the power of the gospel and accomplish his will. He uses selfish, prideful people to build his kingdom by renewing them, transforming them, and washing them with his word to become the beautiful bride of Christ. And so you know how we know that this transformation actually happened? Uh, if, you, if you're already here in Mark 10, keep your finger there, but you know, look really quickly at, at 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John 3.16. Same John, different spot. John, in this letter to the church, 
He says, this is a John who just asked, can I be with you in your glory on your right hand? He writes here, since he laid down his life, we ought to lay down our lives. Just as he has served us, we ought to serve others. And that is a very different heart than what he exposed by asking to sit at Christ's right hand. So transformation by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, it happens. And we have evidence of that even here in the scripture. But remember Keller's quote uh, I shared a little bit earlier, that all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. That's what Jesus is saying when he frames his mission in terms of a ransom for many. This very last line of this section of text, all of Mark can kind of be summarized in this point. It comes to a head here. Because for God so loved all of us that he sent his son to die as a substitutionary sacrifice. Just as it costs us something to love somebody who is wounded or broken or hurting, right? Imagine what it costs God to love an entire planet of broken and hurting people. Well, we don't actually have to imagine. Jesus shows us. God himself gave himself completely. He paid the price for all of our sin, for all of your guilt, for all of your shame, all your confusion, all your pain, all of it. He absorbed all the punishment on our behalf that our sin against our creator, it deserved. And his love for us, it wasn't exhausted, but rather it was perfectly on display in power. Our brokenness, our woundedness can only be healed by God's love for us in Jesus. Our pain can only be healed by God's love through Jesus. Our blindness can only be healed by God's love for us in and through Jesus. And this leads us to the last part of our narrative for this morning. uh, As Jesus encounters Bartimaeus. So look look in your Bibles uh, back in Mark at verse 46. We'll pick up where we left off. Uh, Look at this with me as we pull out some key points of this encounter. Uh, There there are two really key details as we arrive at this point. First, Jesus is passing through Jericho, which had several nicknames. It was actually nicknamed the City of Palms and the City of Roses. uh, And it's literally an oasis in the desert. Like, you know, we see cartoons kind of make jokes about this. And even that really strange... uh, was it a Mini Cooper commercial with the Oasis during the Super Bowl? But Oases, that's the plural, they exist. They're, they're real. And this city actually grew up around an oasis in the desert. It was, a, it was kind of a stopping point on the way to Jerusalem so that people could rest on that last leg of about 18 miles. So all of us, you know, we know those kind of stopping points. There's that exit that you always get off when you're heading up or down 95, that one place where you stop to rest and get gas. Um, or that time we were running down 40 to get to the beach. There's that one place that you stop. Like this was what Jericho kind of served as in that time. It was a stopping point for all these pilgrims so they could rest, get some gas, if you will, and get on the way to Jerusalem. But I can't even conceive of traveling 18 miles by foot. So it's hard for me to engage with this because I don't even like to walk very far, much less run or travel that far by foot. But anyways, 
some of these uh, palm branches in the city of palms. They're going to get cut down and carried with them on the way into Jerusalem. And second, it's really important to, to note that Mark rarely records names. It's not, not a big deal to him. He's moving through the narrative, getting to the key points of Jesus' ministry, talking about Jesus. And here he stops and he gives us a name. So this is notable. This son of Timaeus, he mattered to the church in Jerusalem, according to tradition. And so, and so Mark takes the time to point out exactly who this is, so that this story can be verified by anybody who knew him or knew of him. This man's testimony of Jesus' last miracle before his death, it grounds the narrative in an actual place at an actual time with an actual person. And as he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus hears him. Just as Jesus hears all of us who cry to him for mercy, no matter how chaotic the crowd around us. Would you just say that with me? Uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus, he springs up. And Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do? And at the blind man's simple answer, Jesus heals him. But this time, no spitting in mud, no, no touching, just the power of his word. One of the difficulties of breaking up the text is then having to reconnect the text sometimes between weeks uh, so that all the fullness of the scripture can be communicated. So let me implore you, please read with us through whatever book we're preaching through on Sunday mornings. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and it'll add so much richness to your worship on Sunday mornings. Uh, all that to say, this encounter with Bartimaeus, it's a great comparison to the rich young ruler from last week's text. Bartimaeus, he was very aware of his condition. Uh, if he hadn't been born blind, certainly blindness had characterized his entire life since it happened. He knew he needed Jesus. He knew there was nothing he could do. He knew his condition. The young man, he wanted to know what to do. He was distracted by all that he had done and all that he had. Jesus had to show that young man his condition. And he didn't like what he saw. Blind Bart casts off his possession, his cloak. It was probably his only possession in which he would you know, gather coins and he just tosses it aside in order to stumble to Jesus. And the rich ruler, he can't let go of his possessions. He holds them too tightly, even when Jesus points directly to that root in his life. Bartimaeus rests on Jesus' mercy. He knows that all authority and power is with Jesus. The rich man, in some part of his heart, he still trusts the authority and power of his possessions, and he still trusts his abilities to earn eternal life. So don't be like that young man as you hear the gospel this morning. There's also a really beautiful comparison to James and John. Uh, since this miracle, it follows their conversation they just had with Jesus. Notice that the same question is asked by Jesus in both conversations. What would you have me do? 
He says it to James and John. He then says it to the blind man. But the answer of the brothers and the answer of the blind man could not be more different. In Bartimaeus' answer, there is no request for exaltation, no request for authority, only mercy. In Bartimaeus' answer, there is no request for authority, just recognition of Jesus' complete authority as the son of David. There's also a comparison for us. Or rather, uh, we can compare ourselves uh, in Bartimaeus' response to the presence of Jesus. You know, we often, we don't know what to pray for, what to ask for, how to approach Jesus. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Don't let that hinder you. When he has called you, spring up and stumble to him. And whatever your request, he will hear you and love you. Even the prayer that Bartimaeus cried out that we spoke together just a minute ago. It's a great starting point if you don't know what else to say. Son of David, son of God, have mercy on me. And then Bartimaeus, he didn't just have faith. He had faith in the son of David. He had faith with a specific object, Jesus. One of the most touching implied truths of this encounter, if you put yourself in this place, kind of read through this text and put yourself there, the first thing that he would see is the face of Jesus. So of course he followed him, even to Jerusalem. And such is the heart of all who have been given eyes to see and ears to hear the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're really still trying to get your mind around what this would be like, there is a a very magical place on the interwebs called YouTube. And if if you've never ventured to this land, be very careful and have a guide, or else you can get lost in endless puppy videos, or cats if you're one of those people, or conspiracy theories, or illegally posted movies, or comedian duos that bear a resemblance to Harnett Central graduates. Um, But if you want a good cry, I mean, have some tissues and look up Videos of people hearing or seeing for the first time. Medical technology is crazy advanced, and it continues to advance. And there are some breathtaking, heart-rending videos of a child hearing his mother's voice for the first time after a surgery. Or of a person having the bandages removed after surgery that gives some measure of sight. It's indescribable, which is why I point you there the look that those people have on their faces and the faces of the people around them. So for Bartimaeus, being blind, he had no category for how things really are. He'd forgotten or maybe never even seen starlight, the colors of spring flowers in bloom, the smile of his parents. He didn't know what he was asking when he asked Jesus to restore his sight. He couldn't have known that when he asked, he couldn't have known how beautiful the face of Jesus would be and how unrecognizable it would be a week later. He couldn't have known how overwhelming the triumphal entry into Jerusalem would look with branches being waved and joyful faces of expectation to be followed a week later by faces contorted in anger and by deep red blood and spit and dirt covering the body of the one that he stood in front of in that moment. 
He didn't know what he was asking. He didn't know that the risen Jesus would be more beautiful even still than the face that he saw first. He didn't know that the body of Christ, the church, would soon give him brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers that would all smile at his testimony of Jesus' power over brokenness. The way of the disciple is the way of the king, which is the way of the cross. On the first Sunday of every month, we're invited, just like James and John and others, to follow Jesus to Jerusalem. We're invited, just as Bartimaeus was invited, to follow him on the way. We're invited to the table with the king. If you're a follower of Jesus, and you've publicly professed your faith in him alone for life and salvation, then please, in just a few moments, come forward and partake of these elements together with us. Either uh, right as you receive them, or as you return to your seat, whichever you prefer. If you've not yet made a public profession of faith, if you're still considering Jesus, uh, then please remain seated or come forward and refrain from partaking in these elements. As the elders and deacons who are serving uh, get in position, hear these words from Paul regarding this meal from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you come to either of these stations, come up these sections here and then return to your seats through the middle or the outsides. And come to the table. Come with the full rights of a son, a daughter, because Jesus has ransomed you from the death that you deserve. And he saved you too the life of a child of God, a participant in his family and to his kingdom. So would you come? Well, I hope this week you will go out in the, in the knowledge um, that we've heard this morning, that you will pray and seek God's will uh, for your life, for this body, and for his church throughout the world this week. Um, hear these words from Paul from the book of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen and be blessed this week.